you know, if you're buying a $50 million building, I've got a lot of money options versus buying a $5 million building. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer, with me as always. On these uh, Wednesdays, we got Matt Jones. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's another beautiful spring day. Yeah, man. It's a gorgeous spring day. We just got done with uh, another Lunch and Learn event uh, for the North Star Conference. We're doing these quarterly events um, in the Twin Cities. So if you're in the Minnesota area, you're listening to this, Twin Cities area, um, you know, we'd, lo- we'd love to have you stop on by at uh, one of the events today. We talked all about capital raising. We talked about capital raising for larger commercial, mostly multifamily deals, but you know, really whatever I talked about and we talked about today pertains to any kind of, any kind of capital raising, quite frankly, um, had two investors that have each invested a lot of money into multiple deals. I think, uh, one of them invested in about, what was it? 24 deals. And the other one, 25 deals. So they were flexing their muscles a little bit. It was fun. Uh, and they've also raised money. Um, and, and one, one of the guys that was up there had, I wouldn't, maybe what, maybe we could have delved into more details. We ran out of time, but he had a deal that a couple deals that he was involved in that didn't go so well, involved in a Ponzi scheme and involved in another deal that didn't go so well. So anyways, interesting to just hear, um, not only my take on raising money, but to hear their take on how they raise money, how they look at deals as investors and and that kind of stuff. So so it was a lot of fun, uh, to be a part of. Yes, indeed. But that's not what we're talking about today. What are we going to talk about, Matt? Well, we're going to continue our asset class series. And last time we talked about medium-sized multifamily. Now we're going to talk about large multifamily, generally 100 unit plus. Okay. So we're we're diving a lot into, into the uh, residential space. I promise everybody we will get into retail, we'll get into industrial, we'll get into uh, office and all that kind of stuff here soon but one more one more time we're going to be talking about multifamily and I don't want to dive into a lot of the details because we already did that over the last couple of weeks so if you're like hey I want to hear more about this multifamily stuff go ahead and listen to the last couple of weeks of episodes but we're going to be talking about large multifamily and actually what's that today's you know lunch and learn uh well we talked about really parlays well into that because when you're doing large multifamily, the vast majority of multifamily purchased is going to be purchased through um, using other people's money. And so you've got your equity stack and the equity stack is made up of several different things. But we talked about in these smaller multifamilies, you know, first you got the debt, large multifamily, you got a lot of good debt options. We'll, we'll dive into that in a second, but you got, you got your debt and you might even have some subordinate debt, right? So you might have some mes debt. You might have some pref debt. Um, you you might have um, potentially even some pref equity that you got to bring in. And then you've got your friend's family network. So, you know, for me, syndication. Um, but so there's a lot of different options. And there's family office, there's private equity. Like I said, there's, 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 um, pref debt. There, there's a lot of different avenues out there where you can get money to get into these deals, but it's a lot of it's about experience and the deal 
Um, so they're, you know, the sponsor in the deal itself. Yeah. And I think one thing to know about these bicker unit deals is now you're getting into the big stuff and, and you're competing with some big corporations at the same time, real estate mm-hmm. investment trusts and uh, other companies as well. So it's yep. not just you trying to figure things out like you would uh, with buying a duplex or something. Uh, it's real competition here. Yeah. It's where the big boys play and uh, the bigger you go and, and, you know, kind of that A, B class, you know, good, big markets. Um, you're definitely pay, playing with the big boys. You're, you're competing, like you said, against a lot of this institutional money, the REITs, uh, insurance companies, uh, foreign money, um, you know, family office money. So you're, you're competing with all kinds of different players in the, in the market is it's, you know, it's a small market, but it's, saturated as well. So you're definitely uh, got to pull your big boy pants on and play the game a little bit differently. It's mom paws don't do too well buying a 200 unit apartment complex in a, in a good location. Uh, that's just really challenging. Not that it can't be done, but it's just a lot, a lot more challenging, a lot different type of asset class. Yeah. And this is the the size of units you really can't do on your own or, or just through a JV normally. Like you have to have a team of people pooling their resources and, and knowledge together to make these happen. Yeah. I mean, obviously for the most part, there's some very wealthy people that have money to do, but uh, for the most part, these are companies, these are companies that are buying and, and probably own, you know, a good amount of real estate. And so, yeah, the, you're, you're not just coming in and like you said, JV in with a couple of friends or family or whatever like that, you're coming in with a likely a full fund uh, syndication or um, some of the other options that I mentioned, the, the pref equity and, and that type of stuff. So, um, you know, we can, and maybe we dive into that. So, so first let's dive into the debt side on the loan on the large multifamily. They're the most common type of loan. It's agency loan. And that's going to be your Fannie Mae, your Freddie Mac, which are 30-year amortization fixed for, you know, somewhere between, well, they've got floating rates. So I guess they don't even have to be fixed, but a lot of times fixed, you know, five years, seven years, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. They've kind of got a smorgasbord for you to choose from um, along with the floating rates. So the rates are going to be the lowest in the market. So you're Typically, so you're typically going to see, you know, pretty good rates, interest rates. Uh, right now, you know, a lot of the local banks are, as we're recording this, Matt, we're sitting here in uh, end of April, 2023, and a lot of banks are sitting around six and a half, seven percent for interest rates, uh, where we just, we locked in recently at 5.6% with a Fannie Mae. Okay. Nice. Um, you've got age, you got, uh, so the agencies, um, fat life insurance companies and, and that type of do too. Uh, those can be 30 year, 25 year. Uh, those are a little bit different, but again, similar, all these loans are, are going to have to be in the million plus range. Um, they prefer two, three, four million plus. 5 million plus, it really starts to get you a lot more options. 10 million plus gets you even better options. They like the bigger deals, the bigger, the better typically. Um, So so that's kind of your most common uh, option. Uh, another pretty common option too is a bridge loan. And these there's a lot of bridge lenders that provide exactly what it sounds like, bridge lending. So if you got a project that you're 
purchasing, you're going to do some value add. Uh, you're going to raise rents, whatever it might be. You're going to get a bridge loan. And so that lender will come in and they'll, they'll get you a product that you're going to be able to, to basically bridge from the purchase to that permanent debt financing or maybe even a sale. Um, but that's kind of like your hard money loan for single families. So it's going to be a lot more expensive. Um, and I think we, we talked a little bit more in detail about that last week. So people want to learn more about the bridge. You can definitely dive in to that. Um, so those, those are your common loans. There's, there's other options out there. Of course, your local banks and, and other various lending sources, but those are kind of your, your, your main ones. Yeah. And with that bridge loan, often when you, you have a uh, interest only payments for those first couple of years, that helps really nicely while you're doing the uh, yep. development, you're uh, doing a value add play, you're renovating all the units. That way you're not spending all your extra money on the mortgage. You, you can just pay the interest only. And then after that, uh, you know. When, place- and, yeah. And renovations don't have to be out of pocket either. So you can lump that into your loan. So you might be able to get, you know, 75, maybe even more percent LT. C loan to cost. And so they're going to lend on your, um, your renovation. So higher risk, of course, because now you're exposing yourself to floating rate debt, which, which can be problematic in a raising rate environment. Um, you're, you're definitely, uh, more leveraged, um, for the most typically, I mean, I guess you can go as low as leverage you want, but they'll allow you to go much higher leverage. So, I was just talking with my business partner. We've got this property that uh, we purchased several years ago and it's performing extremely well, but it's it's actually, if you look at the property itself, it's underperforming. Uh, There's properties nearby there, you know, 95% occupancy, um, 90, 95% collections. And we're sitting here just on just a hair under 90% and our collections are not that great either. And, uh, but we're cash flowing extremely well. You know, debt solves a lot of problems if you're going to do it right. So this this property right now would, you know, probably a, probably we could sell for around twenty to twenty five, twenty to twenty two million. Really, really, um, our loan on it's nine million, right? And our loan payments like twenty three thousand a month, and so that property cash flows because man, debt solves a lot of problems. If I if I have great debt, long term fixed rate, cheap debt. Even though this property could perform better, we're still cash flowing. We were able to pay our investors over a ten percent distribution last quarter. So, I mean, you know that that can be a big bonus with real estate, but it can also be a big problem with real estate. Yeah, when uh, you have these variable rate loans, when do you decide whether or not to buy a rate cap? Yeah, so that that's a good question. So rate cap is essentially an insurance product that you're purchasing. So all, all that a rate cap is is a bet against the interest rates. And so essentially you what what happens is the the these companies will sell this product and they'll they'll say, "Hey, you pay us whatever, let's call it half a million dollars." And if the rate goes up past whatever percent, maybe it's a three strike. So if the rate goes up, you know, the Fed fund rates at zero or it's close to zero, the rate goes up 300 basis points, then they'll cover anything above that. So they'll keep your rate 
so it caps your rate, right? So, so usually, so on this, let, let me back up here on bridge debt. It's based on sulfur. Okay. So that rate varies all the time. Okay. That, that rate varies all the time and based on a number of things, but the fed fed funds rate, you know, plays into it. So let's just say uh, your lender says you're going to pay us um, 400 basis points over sulfur. Okay. So that if sulfur is at zero, which it was pretty close to zero, not too long ago, then you're going to pay us 4% interest. Okay. Um, but if sulfur goes up to one, you're paying us, you know, again, sulfur plus 400 basis points. So you're going to pay us 5% interest. And if it goes up to two, you're paying us 600, 700, you know. So, so all of a sudden, if sulfur is where it's at right now, which is, I'd have to look right now, but is, you know, like four and a half percent. And the bridge lender said you're paying 400 basis points above. Now you're at eight and a half percent. So you went from 4% to eight and a half percent. Well, that sucks, right? That's a big payment, Matt. And so that can really kill your deal. And But if you bought a rate cap, what that might say is, well, you bought a 300 basis points you know, rate cap. And so now your rate didn't go up that whole four and a half. It only went up 3%. So it can still hurt though. Like that's just still a big bump. So when you, when you buy a rate cap, Again, rate cap is a losing proposition. It's, it's meant to be, right? The, the, the company's meant to make money on it. So what they're doing is they're saying, well, we think the volatility is, is X amount. And we think the chances of the interest rate going up that high is, is you know, less than what we're going to charge you. And so we'll charge you a half a million dollars. And they're hedging that it's only going to, that it's only going to cost them a quarter of a million dollars. Right or three hundred thousand dollars, so they're going to make that spread. So that's kind of how they make money. Um, so you're you're essentially putting an insurance blanket on something, but it's uh, uh, typically a rate cap is going to cost you more than it's ever going to save you. So why would you do it? Because it mitigates interest rate volatility and risk for that case that the interest rates do go up drastically then you do have that cap. So if that makes sense, that was a long explanation. But when do you get a rate cap? Probably right away. And so you're just guessing essentially whether or not to get a rate cap based on if you think like, oh, mortgage rates are going to skyrocket over the next uh, couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the best time to buy a rate cap is when, when you feel like rates are going to go up, but the market feels like they're not going to go up. Well, it's just, you know, it's it's hard. And and if you're right, you won. If you're wrong, you lost. So a year and a half or two years ago was a good time. <laughs> well, rate caps are usually only for a certain amount of time. Right. So if you so that that's the problem that's happening right now is that people's rate caps are expiring and they've got to buy new rate caps. And rate caps are expensive in a volatile time. And so let's say they got to buy another year or two rate cap. It might cost them a half a million or a million or even $2 million, depending on the size of the, the cap. So that's that's the kind of the issue that's happening right now is there's a lot of people that have these rate caps that are expiring and they're going, oh, crap, now what do we do? And they're paying a lot in interest. And uh, once that rate cap expires, they're really paying a lot of interest. All of a sudden, it goes 
up another, you know, two or 300 basis points. And they're like, now what do we do? <laughs> so, um, so anyways, that, that's, that's a, that's on the risky side of things. And that's why bridge loans are definitely risky agency. debt's not because it's locked in longer terms, but uh, I guess, again, you could, you could do a floating rate and that, that's definitely riskier, but um, a lot of it's longer term. Look, man, I mean, if, if you bet over the last 10 years, on on interest rates and didn't do a rate cap or you did floating rate debt over the last 10 years, you won almost every time. It was the smartest people over the last probably, actually probably closer to 15 years, smartest people over the last 15 years that did floating rate debt if if you did floating rate debt, you were smart. Like that was a genius play, right? You were taking a higher amount of risk, but you won every single time. Now, if you would have done floating rate debt a year ago, you look like an idiot. Even though everybody looks super smart for the last 15 years, now you look like an idiot because you did floating rate debt. So that that's what, but that's the risk of floating rate debt is all of a sudden you get caught, right? It works until it doesn't. Yeah, so, fair enough. Well, that's, that's like new. That's just like new development with with any project. New development is is fantastic until it's not, right? So, how about the underwriting and due diligence process? How does that differ with the large multifamily versus the smaller medium? Not really too much. I mean, cap rates are uh, play a little bit bigger role, I would say, into it. Um, but yeah, not, not too much, especially on the medium size. I mean, we're still looking for income and expenses, and we're looking at our NOI or net operating income and trying to determine if the property makes sense financially and to, to make sure it cash flows, to make sure that we can create some sort of value to increase uh, the rents or decrease the expenses or, or both um, and increase and improve the value of the property. So it, it's really similar. The underwriting is really similar. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you might do maybe more things like environmental studies than you would otherwise, I suppose. Well, I I would say yes, but you probably should have done that anyways on the smaller properties. But the answer is yes, you do more of that stuff because that's the lenders are going to require it. Their lenders are more diligent with the property aspect. A lot of these local banks won't make you do that. So if you're losing a local bank, no. But yeah, I think you probably should do all that stuff anyways. I think for the most part, you know, buying larger multifamily, it's a lot more professional of run of an organization, which doesn't necessarily mean it shouldn't be at the smaller. It's just how it is, right? Um, the other thing too, is as you're looking at these deals, the, the big benefit to me is that I can have on-site staff. And so if I'm buying a hundred or 200 unit, let's say I'm buying a 200 unit apartment building map, uh, if I compare a 200 unit apartment building to a 20 unit building at my 200 unit building, I've got two leasing people. I've got two um, maintenance people, maybe three on both sides. But if I got my 20 unit apartment building, I got zero. And I got some people that have to run around at times to to try to do showings, to try to um, do some maintenance. And so the efficiency is not there. And the, the professional professionalism just is, is lacking on the, the 20 unit that a 200 unit can really financially support. 
Yeah, unless you do something like we talked about last week with like buying a couple cluster. Four, yeah, yeah, cluster of uh, units enough to sort of yeah. haphazardly make your own large multifamily place. Yeah, and and that's of course a fantastic way to go if you can cluster um, smaller properties, but that 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 can be challenging because they're owned by tons of different people, right? Um, back onto the the money side. These are properties you can easily raise capital for. There's a lots of different options. Um, there's there's a ton of options because especially as you go bigger, the the big money likes expensive buildings and they're going to go after the, you know, if you're buying a $50 million building, I've got a lot of money options versus buying a $5 million building. I have very few uh, lending options, especially if I'm going down to like a million dollar building and I have almost zero lending options. I shouldn't say zero, but zero comparatively, right? I've got so many options to get both my debt and my equity when I get bigger properties um, that there's there's private equity institutional firms that'll give you 90 to maybe even 100% or close to it of the equity that you need. Now they're going to take a nice size portion of it right so you're still running the deal but they're taking they're taking their share they're not they're not doing it for free but it's a way to get a big deal across the line there's family offices that are happy to invest in these deals they're looking for deals to to put money into um there's there's per, uh preferred equity so you're going to get this company in maybe maybe you Maybe you need uh, $10 million to close on this deal and this preferred equity player will come in for five, $6 million, right? And what what that is, is you, you're going to give them uh, on that five to $6 million, you're probably going to pay them, you know, 14% on their money, right? So it's a coupon, basically. Um, they're taking position behind the lender and uh, you're still running the deal, but and they're not taking your equity, but they are taking a nice, handsome fee. Essentially, it's a it's a loan. Um, it's not technically a loan because it's preferred equity, but they expect to get paid, right? And they're going to get paid before your other investors. Yeah. So if you have other investors in there, of course, you got to disclose those investors that they're they're you know second in line after. The debt, so they're third and nine. Really, you got the debt, you got the pref, and then you got the investors. So, so yeah, it's a it's a riskier position for the investors. Maybe create some higher profit, but a, a bigger risk profile. So your investors need to understand that. Um, yeah. So lot, lots lots of various options though out there when you get to these big properties. The biggest thing though is you have to have experience. So you either have to have experience on your team, you have to have the experience. You have to have a key principal that has the experience but you have to have some experience. Well, I mean, there have been people who have uh, been rookies, like the entire team is a rookie and they do their first deal and, and they're still able to raise money. But uh, I, I advise against investing with people uh, if it's their first rodeo. I mean, maybe yeah, it'll I mean, turn that, out fine, but maybe not. Well, Matt, that was a story we were told today, right? The, the, the rookies raised very little money. They brought in uh, this, this guy that was up on stage. They brought... They brought him in. He brought a bunch of money to the table, and they got the deal closed. And what happened? Lo and behold, it was a it was a mess. Uh, 
they really didn't have any skin in the game. They didn't have the experience and uh, everybody ended up losing. Uh, what, what did you say? 44% of their money. They, yeah. Um, they got back 44% on the dollar. They got, maybe they got back 44%. Yeah. So they lost 60, 60%. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you, you want, you need the experience, but it's hard to get, it's hard to get that loan. And this guy that we talked to, he was the, he was the KP. So he was the one that signed on the loan. He was the one that got all the money. Um, that's a risky position to be in. Um, but yeah, you, you, to get these loans, they're non-recourse loans, which is very attractive, meaning the lender can't go after you personally if things go wrong, but they're hard to get and you have to qualify and you have to qualify by not your credit history necessarily, not how much money your W-2 makes, uh, but you have to qualify based on the property, but then you have to qualify based on your net worth. And liquidity, your net worth has to equal the loan amount, your liquidity, you know, they're looking for a lot of liquidity to make sure you can pay the debt service. Um, they're also looking for experience. So, so you can actually sign on the debt. Otherwise you got to bring in this key principle. And we talked a little bit more details uh, last week on that too. I guess one thing I don't think we mentioned is with the key principle is that they, if they have $10 million of net worth, they could sign on a $10 million loan on a property and then repeat that with a different property as well, multiple times. Yes. Yes, for sure. Um, yep. It's not just a one time, one and done. And we add up all the KPs or all the people that are signing on that loan. So so maybe you're coming into this deal and going, man, I don't have a $10 million net worth. I only have a $2 million net worth, $3 million or whatever. And you got this $10 million property you want to buy. Well, if you let's say you've got a $3 million net worth and you got this $10 million loan that you want to put on a property. So you got to bring in a KP that has $7 million net worth because you have 10, you got three. So all you got to do is bring in somebody with seven. You don't necessarily have to bring in somebody with, with 10 that can cover the whole thing. And maybe you have to bring in two KPs because you don't know anybody with 10 and you know two people with five or whatever. So, so you, you might have to bring in a couple people to, to help sign on the loan, but again, it's not in recourse. It's, it's, you give away some equity, you give away some profit, but uh, it's a way to get some deals across the table too. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Obviously, you know, we talked more detail with multifamily, why we like it, why we like, uh, but larger multifamily is just more efficient. Just basically take everything we said last week and just say, that, hey, it's just more efficient, a little bit better, a little bit bigger, easier to scale, all that kind of stuff. A lot of the stuff is the same. Um, yeah, it's a great asset class. I love it. And I it's only going to continue to, in my opinion, just continue to stay strong for a long period of time. We might see some cracks in some of the ways things people did business, but the business itself is still a strong, viable asset class. Very good. Cool, Matt. Well, that's all I got, man. You have a fantastic rest of the day. Make every day Saturday. Thanks, you too. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. 
and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.